advertising influencers. Conversations with today's top-tier marketers from Silicon Valley and beyond. Powered by Instapage, the most powerful landing page solution. One of my favorite things about doing these podcast interviews, perhaps maybe the favorite thing about doing these, aside from the fact I get to talk to really cool people and get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is marketing, but I also get to go new places, you know, get some fresh air outside of the office and what better place to do that than in Santa Cruz, where the headquarters of Looker is located. And I'm here right now with their CMO, Jen Grant. Jen, thank you so much for having me here in your beautiful office. Well, I'm excited to have you here. I imagine that Looker is one of the bigger, if not the biggest, technology companies to come out of Santa Cruz proper. I mean, we're in the city of Santa Cruz right now. That's right. Yeah, we're there's lots of tech startups here, but we're the only one that are able to say we fit two floors mm. and we're moving into a third floor shortly. Mm-hmm. And you guys, last report, I mean, you guys have raised almost $100 million of funding, a little more than that. Yep, a little bit more than that. And we now have, we have an office in Dublin, we have an office in New York, a little office in Boulder and London, and uh, we we have an office in San Francisco too. Mm-hmm. Very, very good things are happening for you guys. Now, I explained it a little bit in the introduction to this interview, what you guys do, what makes your product so cool, but it's going to sound much, much better coming from you. So tell us just briefly what Looker is, what you provide to businesses, to marketers, and to everybody else using your product. Great. So the Some people think of it just very simply as business intelligence, but I like to think about it as what's the problem we're really solving. And typically in companies today, you have one of two problems. Either you have to wait to get any data to do any sort of analysis on, you know, whether your marketing is working or whether your customers are happy or anything that you might want to know about what's going on in your business. So you have to wait. Or Or, use valuable resources from your engineering team, (laughs) et cetera. Exactly. And then there's the second problem where maybe you have a little bit of data. So you have a spreadsheet or you have access to Salesforce or you have access to Marketo or you have access to maybe one of the silos of data in your company. And you can run off with your spreadsheet and you can visualize things and then you get into a meeting and everybody has different data and different conclusions. And then you sit around and fight on whose data is correct and whose Mm -hmm. analysis is correct. Instead of saying, oh, hey, let's figure out what's the best thing to do for the company right now so that we can all be more successful. And bad data is worse than no data. At least many people would (laughs) think so. That's right. And it goes even further than that. I think people usually think about like, oh, there's clean data and dirty data, but it really is also in the definitions. So how do you define revenue in your company? How do you define the average lifetime value of a customer? All of those things are decisions. And as a company, you should all be using the same definition. But many times, if you have these silos of data, everybody is doing analysis and they're just deciding every single time they run the analysis, this is what it means to be an active customer. And someone might say they're logging in every seven days. And someone else might say they're logging in every 30 days and they downloaded a file and they shared a thing. And you can't actually have a conversation when everybody's defining everything different. And that's really what Looker does, is that we create a data platform where 
a data analyst can get everyone to agree on how do you define, how do you, what are your metrics that are important that you want to track, and then make it available for everyone at the company so they don't have to wait to get the analysis that they need, that everyone can use it. And make it available to everybody in a visually digestible way. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just sort of rows and columns and you have to kind of look through it. It's in all the visualizations you need with whatever makes sense. Pie charts, bar charts. We have hundreds of visualizations you can use. Awesome. Now, how did you end up here? You're the CMO here of a company that's been growing very quickly, continuing to grow very quickly, but this is not your first rodeo, I guess, so to speak. You have a career that has led you to this point. So what's the nutshell? of your professional journey? Yeah, I would say, you know, the quick version is um, I did lots of crazy things trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself. But where I really hit home was when I first worked at Google. And what was so wonderful about that experience was Google was still a little bit earlier. So it was still innovative and wild and fun. And we were testing and trying things. And there was a lot of freedom. And I got put on a very controversial project called Google Book Search. Hmm. And I got stuffed in the middle of a crisis. And it was the most educational experience of my entire career in learning how to deal both internally and externally with PR and all of the publicity around the Google Book Search project that we were scanning libraries. What does it mean? Publishers and authors aren't sure they like it. Mm -hmm. How do we as Google and how do... I, as the product marketer, explain why this is a valuable project for the world. So that was a hugely impactful experience on my career. And then after that, Box was sort of my risk and my hit, Mm -hmm. where I got to go in and say, okay, now I own marketing. And Box was only 30 people when I got there. So it was a tiny (laughs) little startup. Yeah. Um, And we all thought, you know, we're just kind of mucking around. But really what we did is sit down and say, okay, how are we going to build an enterprise content management company? And so to see that from tiny all the way to, I think there were about a thousand employees by the time I left and it was right before the IPO was just that wild ride. And so that is kind of what brought me back to Looker because I saw, again, another company that was not quite as early as I was at Fox. We were about 150 people when I got here. Mm -hmm. So it was right at the stage of, Customers love this product, really great executive team, smart people that I want to work with, and they really needed marketing help. It was a very technical product. All of their website, all of their messaging was super technical, and they hadn't been able to identify why should anyone else care about this product, which is, of course, right where I want to be to grow a big company with a great product and actually add value because it's something they needed. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. And then throughout this entire process, being at Google, being at Box, et cetera, how has your marketing philosophy changed? What was it when you started and what is it now? You know, it's so interesting. So when I started, it was all about PR, messaging. How do you take, you know, at Google, there's always engineers who would build something and then say, look, I built a thing. And then in marketing, we'd say, okay, okay, so who, who's going to care about this? How should we explain it? How do we announce it? So it was all about the messaging of, okay, this is why it matters. This is why it's interesting. How do I shorten that down into five words? And then how do I get the message out there? At Box, it was half that. If you're familiar at all with Box, PR was our 
strength and mm-hmm. brand and we had billboards and we had you know we put stuff on billboards that were super unique and caught people's attention and got people to think about us but we also had just a huge focus on PR and announcements and how do we again tell everyone how we're transforming the world and so that was a big part of it and then for me professionally it was a huge learning experience to start to ramp up on all the technology of marketing because believe it or not, when I was first at Box, the idea of marketing automation was sort of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's like a requirement. <laughs> like we, we, yeah. don't, we don't know of a world without it. But back right. then we were like, oh, okay, so how does the handoff to sales work? And what's the SLA between marketing and sales? And how do we score leads? And oh, let's try this new product that scores leads. What does that mean? And mm-hmm. so it was all sort of building the technology and, you know, eventually what that came down to was data and can we do multi-touch attribution and do we do first touch or last touch and, you know, all of that stuff was Mm -hmm. all my time at Box was sort of lots of fun on the brand side and then a lot of really interesting learnings on following the technology and putting in place all the new things that were going on. Yeah, absolutely. Still things that marketers are debating about today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating now with Looker is now I'm actually marketing a product that's all about the data and dashboards. And we deeply understand what's going on with our marketing. And we're looking at channels on a daily basis. What's our conversion rate? How many leads? How on track are we to the goal? Exactly why did this channel go down? You know, all of this really data-driven stuff. And now we're starting to see a shift in how people respond to marketing. We used to be, I mean, we still will do email. We're still going to do all of the, you know, typical things around nurture and sending content, getting people to download, content syndication, all those things. But we're starting to see the face-to-face stuff as performing better. And it used to be like, oh, events are so expensive. We can only do so many. And now what we're seeing is medium to small events where you really get this face-to-face interaction and you bring in one of your executives or you Mm -hmm. bring in an author from a book about data or something like that and you get 15 people or 20 people in a room, you couldn't touch those people through email, but they will come to an event because they want to meet other data people and that is really compelling. And so there's sort of this resurgence of face-to-face marketing that we had kind of, you know, back in the days of let the technology do everything, we can email ourselves to being successful. We had sort of said, oh, so we're not going to do, we're not going to send mail. We're not going to do as many events. All of these things are so expensive. And now we're sort of turning around and going, you know, actually, at the end of the day, people like people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like to talk to people. And we can't walk away from the human factor of what marketing is about. That is, of all of the conversations I've had throughout the course of doing this interview and also just in my own life as a marketer and my career so far, that to me is the fundamental common denominator between everything that's changing with marketing right now. Mm -hmm. There's this cyclical nature of things. Yeah. And I remember I first had this realization. I don't remember what company it was, but there was some tech company. You know, a lot of these tech companies have been scared of billboards and scared of TV advertising. And then I saw one of these companies running a Super Bowl ad or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, wait a second, things are coming back around. Because my father actually was in broadcast advertising. So he sold television TV time. And here I am now doing this, which is interesting. (laughs) What do you think 
would you categorize what you're referring to with this FaceTime? Would you categorize that as experiential marketing? Or is there another better word for it? Yeah, I haven't. I mean, it's, it's experiential marketing, but it's also that it's like the human touch. It's something about getting back to basics. You know, it just it's an interesting phenomena that I think just is happening because people are sick of the digital world. They're sick of like a Facebook ad or a LinkedIn ad. They still respond to them if it's like an edge, something educational. You know, I'm going to download a comparative report. Here's the industry expert who says a thing. I might read about that. But really getting people in the door feels like the person has to feel like you're going to be there with them. And maybe it's a B2B thing, but if they're going to bet on you and your software, they're not going to bet on the technology necessarily. They're going to bet on the technology plus the person that's going to help them, that they can trust, that they feel like, okay, you're going to hold my hand. I'm not going to get fired by choosing this software. <laughs> like yeah. I'm actually going to be promoted because I'm bringing to the company something. And even if there are problems, there's still a human who's with me on this journey. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's, I find in, the, in Silicon Valley, I talk a lot and I advise people and I'll have lunches, a coffee, whatever. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. And I often find that this is a key thing that most tech founders who are typically engineers or product managers, they miss how important the, the human element is, and especially in B2B. And I've had many founders say to me, um, even some big ones say, oh, I, I don't think sales is important. People will just sign up online you know, it's just logical that they would sign up online. And and I have to say things like, humans are not logical. They will never be logical. They're going to choose the product because of the human interaction that they had, because of the trust that they feel, because you're going to be there with them. And that connection is so critical. And I think a lot of tech companies start out thinking that that's not going to be important. And then eventually realize when they start hiring sales and hiring marketing, like, oh, wow, when I speak to people face-to-face, they're more likely to buy. And they may even pay more or buy more of my product because they're buying into everything. They're not just buying into the technology. They're buying into the people. Mm -hmm. Now, with all of the data that we have available, especially, you know, with you guys (laughs) and products like yours, we're all so obsessed with optimization and for good reason. We always want to be optimizing our campaigns, et cetera. How do you use data from these types of experiences to continually optimize those experiences? God, it's so much fun to do the kind of optimization we can do now. So we're most of the time when I get involved, because I think it's fascinating, it's on the website. How do we, what are we saying on our homepage? What are we saying? on you know the, the product page or the most important pages of the website and when is it that if we change something that we get an increase and you know we're sort of touching everything and we we're doing the design we're doing the messaging but one of the things that's super important in those conversations and it's a little bit what I bring to the table is okay so yes if we had a very large big red button everybody would click on it but we have to balance that with how do we want people to feel and how do we want our brand to be represented? At some point, the button is too big and too red mm-hmm. and we need to actually express who we are as a brand. And it's hard to see that in that immediate optimization kind of work. But, you know, then we have a landing page and we put the word completely same landing page. We put the word 
secure, just one little word. And it was a 24% increase Wow! in people filling out that silly form. It yeah, just yeah. felt like, oh, humans are weird. Yeah, they certainly are. <laughs> and one interesting thing about humans and how weird humans are in the context of what we're talking about is the handoff. And this is something that you and I briefly spoke about when we first connected on the phone a couple months ago. The handoff between marketing and sales and something that is a hot topic around all of those marketers doing these kinds of things all over the world. Yep. I'm wondering what the relationship is that you've observed between marketing and advertising with your sales team. I actually happen to know one of your sales guys, yeah. a friend of mine from long ago, Rafa, and without knowing the details of his job and everything. I imagine he's pretty good at what he does. But yes, yes. <laughs> what's the relationship that you've observed between marketing and sales and how has that changed, especially in the context of this in-person element that you're saying yeah. is so important? Yeah, it's, you know, it's such a critical relationship and it's so hard to get right. And I'm sure every salesperson and marketing person is nodding their head like, oh, it's so hard. And I've had experiences where it's not been very good. And then it turns out at Looker, it's it's actually the best relationship I've had. And it's for a couple of reasons. But one of them is data. If everyone is looking at the same metrics and we all have decided what's most important to the business, then there's no argument over whether we did well or whether we didn't because we're all looking at the same data. You can't argue that the, the leads either went up or went down, the conversion rate up or down, like all of those things line up. And then if you say, okay, well, now let's work together to say, here's where in our funnel we're having a problem. In our case, we schedule meetings. So let's say we scheduled more meetings, but we're not getting as many opportunities from those meetings. Okay, so there could be many things that are going wrong. So then we sit down and say, okay, here are the, all of the things that are going wrong. Is there any other analysis we could do that would let us know? Is it that some sales reps are converting meetings to opportunities at a reasonable rate and some just aren't trained? Could be that. Could also be that the meetings we're scheduling aren't as good as they used to be. Okay, so why is that? And let's dive into why aren't they as good or, they, or is there a new channel we turned on that may give us meetings but not so many, you know, not really actually a good channel, just sort of looked like it at first. So how do we then piece out where everyone can do work to fix it. And that's where if you have a healthy sales and marketing team, you can work together on that discussion, look at the data, agree that we're all going to improve and look and then come together and say, okay, well, it's all for the good of the company. We're not going to blame each other for like, oh, it's your fault or it's your fault. So at Looker, that's a lot of where we've had that success is in being able to look at accurate data that we can rely on and agree upon and then actually solve the problem instead of arguing over it. And I have been at plenty of companies and I know plenty of marketers who spend a lot of time, how can I take the data from my system and show that my stuff is working because it is working, but I'm not getting the credit for it that I think I deserve. And it, that's not what it's about. It's about like, let's make sure we solve the problem because there are always problems with your funnel. It's never perfect. Right, right. And one of the things that I've observed is there's this, to go back to our conversation about the cyclical nature of marketing yeah. and moving back to these in-person interactions, there's this new emphasis of quality over quantity. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, a thousand, hundred Lights. thousand leads, you know, <laughs> maybe you only need a hundred leads that are actually going to have this crazy high LTV and, you know, zero churn rate. Exactly. 
Yeah, and and the reason we can do that is because we can actually track the data all the way through the funnel. And I think just recently were we actually able to connect the data silos to say, oh, this lead from this channel got me this meeting, which got me that opportunity, which went to trial and then closed a deal and then didn't churn and they paid on time. And those are all siloed data sets. And until you can put all those data sets together to track that person through the whole thing, you can't really know, oh, this channel is not, you know, maybe it's only delivering, you know, 10 meetings, but all 10 of them are converting into deals that never turn. And then they do a press release with us because they love us so much. Like, mm -hmm. okay, like that's still a worthy channel, even though it was only 10 coming out of it. It at the end of the day, it's actually helping us more than maybe, you know, some other channel that's only got a 1% conversion rate and we have thousands going through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of centralizing the data and being able to see end to end is where we can then come back and say, okay, quality is actually better. And we've seen that too with, you know, this in-person stuff we've been talking about with uh, you get 15 of the right people in a room, that's a better use of time than going to a trade show that has 50,000 people and trying to make your 10 by 10 booth stand out because you just can't have those deeper interactions. Whereas you get, we had a, one of the biggest airlines sent us a message when we invited him to a dinner and he said, well, I've gotten your email and I thought, eh. and then I got this invite and this is a cool restaurant. And I thought, ah, meh, I might as well go. People like free food. <laughs> <laughs> people really like free food. Right. And the sales rep, who was there was blown away with the conversation because all of a sudden people are having dinner, they're relaxed, it's the end of the day, you're chatting, they're, and they start talking about like, yeah, here are my problems, here's, here's what I'm having trouble with, here's what we have, here's what we're doing about it. And it's critically important information for a sales rep to understand this person and what they actually need and then to be able to go back to them and say, you know, you mentioned that this is a problem you're having, love to show you how we can help with that. And then your sales reps loves your marketing people of and course. everybody's happy. <laughs> so this might be, a, maybe this is a silly question. It sounds silly saying it, but I have a feeling you're going to be able to help me out here. <laughs> How do you host those kinds of intimate events yeah. with that kind of FaceTime without getting salesy? Quote, yeah. What's critically important is to talk about the value of the conversation that you're going to have. So there's always, you know, there's always, well, you have to invite them through an email. So there's always a little bit of that. But we've done, uh, this is where we sort of started testing the whole account-based marketing, where we'll send them a book with an invite to the event in it and say, hey, this is this book, Win With Data. It was written by our CEO, and he's going to be there. And not only that, but all, let's say it's Atlanta, all of the big data people in Atlanta are coming to this event. It's limited. There's only been 20 people, and we're going to talk about all the things that you want to talk about. So trying to make it more about what do they get and what's the conversation that they probably want to have versus like, hey, we're going to show you a demo and we're going to pitch you on our product. Like literally not going to do any of those things. Mm -hmm. You're going to talk to your peers and we have some experts in the room who you can ask lots of questions and they'll answer anything you want. Because mm -hmm. I have been to events before where it's advertised as a networking thing, with yeah. some free food and drink, and you go there, <laughs> and then you realize, oh my god, I'm just getting a sales pitch. Yeah, they're you know, just this the, here's a PowerPoint presentation. They're going to tell me how this product is going to increase the R of my by X Y Z. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no. We when we do these types of events, we keep them no PowerPoint. 
Yeah. There's yeah. no presentation. There's just like, hey, you know, great to have you here. So glad you came. We've got lots of people for you to meet. Sit down. Let's eat. You know, and we whoever from either from Looker, or, you know, one of the authors or whatnot that we've brought, make sure that everybody gets a chance to talk to them. But like if they just want to eat the food and chat with their neighbor, that's also fine. Awesome. Because we also throw in some customers and invite them too. So. Oh, very, very <laughs> smart. <laughs> they turn to the person that left. Oh, you use Looker? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not us at all. Well, we are starting to run out of time, but I do have a couple other questions for you. The first question on somewhat of a silly note, do you guys have a lot of internal puns using the name of your product? <laughs> we do. We have so many. <laughs> yeah. Looking at Looker, whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. We just did our user conference and our product roadmap is Looker into the future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we try not to go too far, but in the early days, they actually, everybody got a nickname that had the word Looker in it. Wow. So That's mine, cute. mine is Looker outside the box. Oh, so, perfect see? for CMO. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then on somewhat of a more serious note, we've talked about it quite a bit throughout the course of this conversation about where marketing is headed, the mm -hmm. importance of FaceTime. Yeah. What can we do as marketers to prepare for the increasing importance of this as we move into this new frontier of growth and marketing and everything else? Yeah, I think the piece that I see as the hurdle is often the sort of the CFO, the CEO that don't get it, that see the cost of these events, but don't understand the importance of the human connection. Mm. Whereas it's so easy. I've had like feels like so many people come to me, CFOs, product engineering, and said, well, just find me that one ad that gets a company to sign up. And then we'll just put all our money into that one thing and we won't need to do all these other things. And so there's a huge educational process and in just sitting down and saying, look, when you start looking at this data, and we've actually finally been able to see this in the data, it's all the things at the same time that matter. It's not the one thing. There the is, collective value. It's the collective yeah. value. There's never going to be one lever that you magically will find and you just flood all your money into there and woohoo, we're done. It's always going to be, okay, we need some PPC. We actually kind of accidentally for a week shifted our budget on LinkedIn away from the larger companies to the sort of mid-sized SMB, largely because we just wanted to get more leads from that, kind of the little shift. And all of a sudden for that week, that two-week period of time, actually, the organic hits to our website dipped on the enterprise side. And we were like, whoa, there's a halo effect on our advertising that we didn't know about. We always thought it was there, but now we can prove it. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare you have moments like that because why would you ever turn your advertising off just to prove that it also will make everything else drop? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been at companies before where we've done tests just turning off all of our advertising in like the eastern United States right. and just seeing what the effect is on, you know, a dip in organic or a lift or yep. whatever. It happens. And that's the kind of conversations to get other executives to understand what you're doing is to start to help them understand that it's not one thing. We can't just have a PPC strategy like, oh, that's all we're going to do. That'll never work. We can't just have, oh, we're just going to prospect. We're going to buy email lists and prospect. That's our strategy. That's not going to work. You have to do all of the things. And part of all of the things is those later stage funnel, the dinners, the sending them a book, the in inviting them to a meetup, doing a small specific to an industry trade show. Like all, it's just a constant test, optimize, test, optimize. Mm -hmm. 
And then the the worst part about the whole thing is that once you find something in, that works, it's only going to work for about six to nine months, and then it starts right. working. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you have to be innovative. Exactly. And then you you got to be constantly trying other things. And so I think the main thing that the more marketers can explain to other executives that it's not like we're going to find the thing. It's that we are going to do all of the things and we're going to test and optimize and the data and our dashboards, all of these tools are going to show us what's working, what's not. And then we're going to test it again and maybe it's not working this time. But that's okay because we're going to constantly be doing pulling that other thing that is working and move a little money over there. So it's just sort of a constant management of mm -hmm. many different tactics that is in fact the strategy for how to be successful and helping executives understand that that's, that's the deal, that there is no one answer, I think would help us a lot. <laughs> awesome. Very, very good advice. Certainly something I will keep in mind and I imagine the rest of us listening will as well. Jen, thank you so much again for having me here into your office, your beautiful office with uh, these nice big windows and a couple a, surfboards in the couple lobby. Couple surfboards, <laughs> the smell of the ocean. It's great. For anyone who does not know, Santa Cruz is a beach town, I suppose you could say, about an hour, hour and a half from San Francisco. Yep. So a nice little break from the city. If people want to find out more about you, more about Looker, what's the best way to do that? Looker.com. Always easy. Or they can always reach out to me. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Jen, once again, thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Advertising Influencers. Conversations with today's top-tier marketers from Silicon Valley and beyond. Powered by Instapage, the most powerful landing page solution.